unmute. There, there we go. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to the Civ Show podcast. We suck, so you don't have to. I'm your host, Moisas. And here not muted is Nystagmus. <laughs> That's right. He's not muted this time around. We got a professional show going on today, folks. It's going to sound real good. Siri, I don't know why you're talking so Yeah, much, I know. Siri does that. We're going to continue on <laughs> with the show anyway. How you doing, man? How you doing? Uh, I'm doing okay. Just It's been a kind of uh, tiring week this week, but... I think we're gonna yeah. end it strong um, uh, come Friday. So I went. I'm sure after the last session, uh, I don't know about you, but I was drained. Even, even I won and I felt drained. Yeah. I was like, dude, that was a tiring game, right? I didn't want to be more uh, forced on it because like when we were talking about it, I was like, uh, the whole time I was just like, dude, I'm willing to call this. Like, <laughs> um, I was so tired. I was ready to call it, and then raising Zozo was like, oh, I'm not ready yet. I'm like, what? Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. So the only thing that made me like really call it was I, I was going for the only other victory that was available to me, which was the science victory. And as soon as I saw you already completed the, the moon mission before I even launched the stupid satellite, um, I was like, yeah, it's done. I can't. And, and, I, and most of my cities that had the highest production were damaged by the flooding that I couldn't build my flood walls were. So one of the downsides of being starting on an island, um, I didn't get my flood barriers up. Yeah, that was a it was a grueling it was a grueling match and uh, got a little bit tired at the end of that Sunday. <laughs> I was super tired. Anyway, let's move on to the industry news. Uh, all right, so here is the industry news in the world of civilization this week. Civilization is still free for one more day. If you're watching this podcast live on Twitch, that is twitch.tv slash the Civ Civ Show, uh, it is free for one more day on Thursday. So pick it up while you can. And if you haven't already, tell your friends to go get it so that you can ruin all of your friendships at once by taking over all of their cities. You can find the game for free on the Epic Game Store. So sign up for an account and download it today. I always wondered if if, uh, Civ is like the risk of like video games. It's, well, it's like the Mario part. I guess, like, like you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you move that star away from the dude yeah. who's right in front of it. Like, your friendship's over. You know what I mean? Like, it's done. You're not talking to that guy ever again. The worst part of Mario Party is when they started giving those bonus stars and you somehow won because, like, you got all these ra- random arbitrary bonus stars at the end of the game. Most games won. Most coins collected. Yeah. Most times you re- landed on a green square. Yeah. I'm like, come on. Are you serious? Like, you can't even do this anymore. <laughs> Hey, uh, so moving on, I guess uh, we're digressing a little bit. Uh, so also the, the new Frontier Pass is now available on Mac. So Mac can now join yeah. the party. Uh, Asper has released a tweet stating that they have released a patch on Steam that allows Mac version to be available. Um, however, there are some reports uh, coming from the comment section that the cross platform between Mac and PC is still not working properly. Um, there aren't any reports on Linux yet, but hopefully in the near future, they'll be able to join the party with the new Frontier Pass. I guess there's always there was always some problems with uh, cross-platform uh, playing sometimes. I guess huh? there must be a lot of moving parts to that. I don't. I don't know because a lot of people were complaining. If you if you're active on Twitter, like if you go on Twitter, there's a lot of people who were complaining that the Mac version wasn't working. One, I had no idea people were playing on Mac. I know it was available, but I didn't know people actually used it. It was just it blew my mind. And then two, um, I didn't know that like I, I didn't know that Mac and and Windows they, they had a crossplay, but I didn't know that like this would break it like I'm surprised it's almost like there's two different versions of the game there's the Windows version and there's the Mac version and they're not made by the same people like like Fraxis makes the Windows one and then Asper ports that Windows one to Mac which 
kind of blows my mind. Oh, so it's the port. Because I always remember, as someone who used to play games on a Mac, and I know that's kind of a, um, you know, that's that's faux pas. I did, I did too. Don't worry, I, I've been there too. There was no problem with playing StarCraft II on a Mac with a P Windows. Now, if someone lagged, obviously the other person would say, if you're playing on a Mac, it's all your fault. But um, it was still, it was still like playable. Um, and so I always find it weird, like with the with the different studios that are involved. When it comes to different games, how the port can, if it's a bad port, it suddenly just breaks the game, right? So um, there are a lot of people who are upset on Twitter. It's just, it shocked me that there are that many people who played on Mac or Linux. Not, not so many people on Linux, and I understand that it's a weird operating system, but um, a lot of people play on Mac apparently. So, uh, hey, now it's available for you. So go ahead and download the new Frontier Pass. I don't know if cross-platform is going to work, but at least you can play the single player. Let me tell you how good Simon Boulevard is in single player. My God, that guy's insane and a ton of fun. Do not use my performance on Sunday as a meter stick to like actually measure that thing because that, that was not a good performance from my uh, me, me using Simon Boulevard's uh, empire there. So if it was Pangea, if it was Pangea, 100%, that game would have been so different. Yeah, so different. Um, you know what? You know what sucks the most though, it, and it's in, irrespective of which civilization I was playing. When I'm not, when I can't see what you guys are doing, as in, after I meet you, I can actually oh, see like where your right. science is at, where your culture is at, and all that yeah. stuff. I don't have a meter, like I don't have a um, like a yardstick to measure myself by. And so then sometimes I may like you know sometimes I I drive and catch up to you in science because I see that you're running away with it, and I make a, a concerted effort as opposed to like. And you did once you saw me, once you met me, you did catch up in science, which is very impressive. And so I think like part of like the bigger maps when we only play with the three people is someone always gets left out because they're going to spawn two people close to each other. And then the other person's going to kind of spawn by themselves because they're supposed to be next to the other player. Um, and so that kind of leaves that one person out, not meeting anybody until like, I, I think it was well into the classical era that I didn't, that I met you. It was a while. Yeah. And then you got, you complained that I settled it on your Island. And I had no idea. Whatever, I still stand yeah. by it. I still stand by that. You knew that that was my Island. <laughs> I didn't know that was your island. I, I did see your border, but I didn't know if that was like your main land. Like that's that's legit. I, I don't have to lie anymore. Like I didn't, I'm not gonna lie after but, the show. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I said I was on an island by myself and you're like, that's your main yeah, land. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't <laughs> clue in, it didn't clue in. I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, how the last piece of news, not really news, but uh, how are you liking new content of the new Frontier Pass? Uh, for me, I played Grand Columbia in single player. It's they're they're insane. I played Maya in single player. I didn't go too far into that game, so I'm still kind of on the fence about them. But Zoe stands by their uh, greatness. Uh, but how are you liking it? Let us know in the comments right now. I, I personally, I'm, I'm enjoying it a little bit. I didn't play too much this week. Again, this was a kind of crazy week for me. Uh, yeah, I've been enjoying the new content. Like the new natural disasters um, are really cool. Um, I still haven't gotten to a game where I basically caused the end of the world yet. And I'm waiting to see what that looks like, actually like see that on screen. Um, Cause I, I hear it's pretty crazy. Good transition into the next se section, which is our thoughts on the last Civ show. So if you didn't watch, if you missed the last Civ show, we played on a primordial map on apocalypse mode, the brand new apocalypse mode that was introduced in the new frontier pass. Basically it adds comets and it adds solar flares as natural disasters. And they occur when the last uh, bit of global warming happens. So when the very final state of global warming happens, comets can take out your entire city. It can take out entire districts. It, it, it takes out just entire plots of land. 
and it is very, very, very deadly. Uh, we played Grand Colombia, we played Maya, and we played Brazil as the three for all matchup. Brazil ended up taking the victory, that was me, for a score slash science victory. Slash, we uh, all I kind of like conceded that it was it was you, right? So yeah, I, I, I think I kind of, the only victory I couldn't have gotten was Diplomatic, but I think I could have gotten every single other one. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you're pretty, it was pretty dominating um, uh, performance there. Um, the only thing in the new in the new Apocalypse one, I don't, I don't really get yet. I don't know why they did it this way. And I still think it's cool. But um, when you get those meteor showers, so the meteor showers don't really cause any damage. They might damage like a district. But when you get to like the crash scene, it gives you like a powerful unit. I don't know why they decided to do that, to be honest. Um, so that's not just an apocalypse mode. So meteor showers are a regular natural disaster, just like forest fires. So those are the, those are the two natural disasters that they added that are every game. So I was playing a practice game this week earlier and there was a meteor shower. And yeah, it was the same thing. You go to the meteor shower or I learned if you settle a city beside a meteor shower, you also get the unit. Um, but yeah, you, it, you, it just spawns like a, uh, an additional unit for you, a, a military unit. And I think part of it is that like you, you, you discovered this like huge scientific discovery. There's like all these remains. It's supposed to be like an alien, like finding an alien, maybe that kind of thing. I, I don't know. Is that what it's supposed to be? Or like a mutant, maybe like, a, you know what I mean? Like a X-Men coming from the ground. When you mentioned X-Men, I was always feeling like it, it kind of reminiscent of like finding animantium or something like that. That'd be so much cooler if like you found like a superhero in the meteor shower. Or like a metal that major that major swords like like awesome or something like that, right? Yeah, like a buff. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Like I hundred percent agree with that. So like a superhero maybe maybe a little bit broken, but I thought that I thought a cool thing that they could have done instead of having it spawn a unit is like if it gave you like a strategic resource, like iron. Like you just you just walk up to it and it gave you like a whole bunch of it or something like that. Or it helped you like tech towards iron making or iron working or something like that, um, which would be really cool. Um, either way, I'm, I, you know, it's easy to criticize, hard to create, right? So I'm not going to be, I'm not going to nail them to our still a cool little feature they have in the game. Yeah, no, it's, it is a little neat little feature. And uh, I don't know, it's, it's like, it makes sense. It sort of makes sense. Like it kind of makes sense that it, you discover a unit, but then at the same time, it's a little bit ridiculous and it, it adds like some RNG into the game that people might not enjoy. Um, speaking of which, uh, I don't know if you saw the tweet that I, uh, that I tweeted out earlier. Uh, I, mean, I don't think you did. No, I didn't really tweet, tweet it, but I replied to it. And it was from the Civilization Players League and they used the Bermuda's Triangle, right? They had a massive navy. They were talking like 10 to 15 to 20 boats. Massive. All of them moved into the Bermuda Triangle at the exact same time and he spawned on the flank of his enemy right on his shore. And it was like, how are you even how do you even defend like he wasn't there now he's here and so like he used the bermuda triangle to completely wipe out this dude and i felt oh it was so bad yeah i commented i'm like how do you even defend against this this is so stupid and it's like one of those things where you just use like chance right this is like a chance uh thing that can happen you just decide to try it right so it's not chance there is actually like a way to predict where it's gonna go and the way it, it's it's literally the complete opposite of the map. So if you were to like, if you were to imagine the the the, <laughs> the world was round, for all you flat earthers, for imagine the world is round, and you were to dig straight through, straight through the core and onto the other side, that's where the Bermuda Triangle takes you, just straight through oh. to the other side of the map. Okay, so like what the what the um, other side of the sea would be. 
basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. That is hard to predict on a flat map though, wouldn't it? It is. You kind of need to discover the whole map before you know. Uh, but at the same time, I think that guy was like prepared to put one boat in there and see where we ended up. And then he ended up like right on the shoreline. And so he just sent in a <laughs> all the rest of his Navy. It was crazy. Um, off topic, though, let's go back into uh, the last show here. Um, Brazil. Brazil is someone that I thought was not good. I did not think they were a good civilization. And then when I read their abilities, I'm like, okay, they sound pretty good. Like, and, and on paper, they sound pretty good. And then when I played them, you know, you're more like, since you're Brazil, you're more likely to spawn near a rainforest. And their ability is that for every adjacent rainforest on a district, you get plus one, right? So you can imagine if you just put it in the middle of, an, of a massive rainforest, that's plus what, plus eight, plus nine adjacency. And that's like your most ideal scenario. But on average, it's like plus three, plus four which is still incredible, right? It's like playing Korea and always having a plus four when you when you build on mountains. But in this one, it's not just science. It's science and, and culture and gold and faith and everything. Everything is affected by the the Amazon. And I just thought it was like a little a little broken. I don't know. Like I was really, really far of science um, according to you. I think you were probably playing the right science. The only downside was that you were against Brazil. And it could be broken at, at the beginning of the game, but as you have to clear rainforest, does the, does the adjacency bonus go away? Yes, it does. So I was doing my best to not clear rainforest. So I even built Chichen Itza, which gives me plus two culture. It Only in that city, not in my entire civilization, only in that city for every rainforest tile. And then I also took the Pantheon. I read, I read this actually on the Civilpedia. Uh, I, if you take the the pantheon that gives you plus two faith for every breathtaking tile, uh, Brazil also has the ability where it, rainforests provide them plus one appeal instead of the regular mi minus one. And so since there are already one so many rainforests, all of the appeal on the adjacent tiles just get upgraded like crazy. And so if you take that, there's a lot of land in your land that just give you plus two faith for free. And it's like, you're already gonna work that tile. Why not take plus two faith anyway? And that's also why I had like 3000 faith. Like Brazil is insane. They're an insane economic civilization, which I never realized, right? It's unfortunate that I never used the battleships, but I think I would have, like I got battleships, you get them with nationalism, which is a civic, and you get them earlier. You had you had battleships pretty early, like, right? That was because because I focused on culture. I was still I was still building like frigates and stuff, and you're like, here's a battleship, a special battleship, not like a regular battleship. Yeah, and it's like stronger too. It's like you get it earlier and it's stronger. So you remember when I had this argument with with Zoe about when he was playing Indonesia during our archipelago map? Of, he he kept bragging how he can get his frigate earlier, right? Oh, he, he comes. It comes with mercenaries. It it comes earlier, but it comes with culture. But it comes earlier. I can get them earlier, right? But then he got them at the same time, and I'm like, why did you completely just negate the whole advantage of getting them earlier? Like I don't understand. It's like no, this is this is exactly what I wanted them. I'm like, but they're not strong anymore. They're just average. Like I I don't. Well, the good thing about like, it wasn't even like Brazil gets the battleships earlier. They have a special battleship, right? It's like a special, and it looks cool, actually. Like the, um, the rendering of it yeah. um, looks, yeah. looks kind of cool. 
Um, and then I, I liked how one of our chatters pointed out the story behind why they're because even I was confused. I was saying it makes it's weird that Brazil's special unit is a battleship. I don't get the story behind that. Shout out to Zealous Zam. Sorry, continue. That's one of the cool things about having a chat that kind of comes in because now I, I want to learn. Histo- I like to think of myself as someone who likes history. I like to learn new historical stuff that I don't even know before um, after the game because, like I said, like I thought, you know. It would make sense that like Japan would have a battleship as their special unit because they built the biggest battleship ever. Um, but it's cool that that story behind Brazil getting that contract to build battleships and then they didn't want them anymore. Um, and then they just had them. Um, and so they had a huge Navy at that point. But it also kind of makes you think of like what other units that other civilizations could have had. Right. So I know, for example, since I really I only really know Canadian history because I'm not I'm not a history nerd, but I'm slowly starting to like understand and like learn new history as I play the civilization and partake in the Civ show. But um, the artillery. Right. What if Canada had a special artillery because of the creeping barrage in World War One? Right. With Vimy Ridge. So, uh, you know, obviously the, the Mounties, the first thing that comes to mind when you think of Canada. Yeah, I get it. Right. And like. You know, the samurai is the first thing that comes to mind with Japan. But to be fair, and, and this is something that's not fair to Canada, right? Like the Mountie is not a military unit. It's not. It's, it's not. Yeah. Right. It's police. It's, it's basically it would be equivalent to our American fans out there. It would be equivalent to like having an FBI agent as like your special unit in as America. Um, like it would be like, you know, Mulder and Scully. That's your that's your special unit for for civilization. Um, <laughs> you know, they could have given us like, I don't know, like. The, the, cl- the classic one I would think in Canada that has a, a, a national story behind it and has like a national precedence would be a special airplane like the Avril Arrow for the modern era. Right. Um, and so, you know, that uh, that's something that I know we're kind of digressing now, but uh, but that's just something that came to my thought because a Mountie, I'm like, that's not a military unit. It's kind of weird. But if, if, if you want to come back on topic, then how did how did Grand Columbia feel? When you, I know you're on your own island and that kind of sucked, but where, where did you think you missed your timing and where do you think you could have gone better? Honestly, um, I think the thing that's, that messed me up. So one is, remember I, I, I told you guys that like I lost my first settler, like my very first settler right, got yeah. killed. Yeah, that, that, was, that so was like, that was like devastating. It was, it was devastating because not only did it kill my settler, the storm hit the city. So the settler moved next to my capital, right? And then the storm hit it, it killed the settler, and then it decreased the, the population of my capital city so that so that I couldn't build another settler right away. And so I had to wait <laughs> until it got more population. So that, that literally put me like 15 turns behind when it came to like spreading. I didn't think it was a big deal because like, oh, I'm on an island by myself probably. So it's all even out in the end. And then um, technically speaking, I think if that didn't happen, I don't think there would have been space for you to put a city on my island. Um, I would have probably taken it before, before you had a chance to. Then I definitely would have known that that was your island and I wouldn't have put it there. I would have went somewhere else for sure. The only, the only issue, um, that I think that put a handicap on mine is that that happened. And then, um, I just don't think I picked, I picked good spots for my, my next two cities. I think I kind of, I tilted a little bit. I, I went on tilt. And just said, oh, I'm going to get a city. I don't care where the city goes. I'm just going to put the city down. Um, and I, I think I chose like one city. My second city was the one that flooded with the flood barriers. I didn't think about that. It wasn't the greatest place to put a city, to be honest. Um, and it was my one of my highest production cities by the time um, the floods came. 
And the floods destroyed my campus and my industrial sector on that city. The floods, man. It's even when you play multiplayer, and we, none of us built, I don't even think you built coal power plants at that point. I'm not sure. But I didn't, and Zoe didn't. And it's still flooded just because my battleships and Zoe's ironclads, it eventually accumulated over so many, so much time that it just eventually was like, all right, pollution, pollution, pollution. We never got to the final stage, though, so I'm, I'm kind of disappointed in it. And I'm kind of disappointed that you guys didn't push it to the final stage to, to handicap me, right? So I was winning and I was clearly in the lead. But if one of those comments hit me, that would have been, it would really hurt. Like it would have hurt you guys too, but I think it would have hurt me more, right? Especially in my space race. And I would be curious to know if the game kind of does it to the leader more, like the, the person who's I winning. I don't think uh, Or it so. might just be random, but. Um, I think it's completely Yeah, we random. probably should have done that um, uh, in hindsight. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But yeah, I think that that was the biggest that I think that was the most crippling. I, I didn't talk about it a lot when it happened because I was pretty upset that it did. Um, and I didn't want to make like a big thing about it. I just wanted to play the game and have fun. But, um, uh, and that's probably why I reacted so strongly when he put the city on my island. Because <laughs> um, I was like, because I was like, this happened to me. And then I only built like three cities. You guys had like a whole bunch. I knew you guys had a whole bunch. And then I saw your city on my thing. I was like, damn it, man. I can't even have my own island now. If I knew that was if I knew that was your own island, I wouldn't have done it. Like I, w I swear to God, I wouldn't have done it. But I thought I was like, oh, there's room here, right? Like I, whatever. So I'm like, yeah, I'll just settle here because there's there's a bunch of other little islands north of there that I could have gone to, and like I was planning to, but I'm like, ah, I'll just go here, whatever, right? And then you you were just like, get the freak off my island! How dare you come to this land? I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. And then, and then, uh, you know, cause, uh, militarily wise, like we had to get to the industrial era first and we did, and I made my Linaros and all that stuff. But then with your battleships on that side, I just had nowhere to attack you from. Like I can't, um, if I did, it would have just basically been, you know, suiciding my Linaros into your battleships and, um, and there was nowhere for me to cross. And then the other side, if I went the other way, which was what I started doing near the end of the game, you know how I told you I was like behind in cities and then all I did was I pushed, I built like a bunch of settlers and I went up to eight cities within like a few turns. I went the other way, but there was nobody that way. Like Zoe was like really far away that way. Um, and so I just didn't have opportunity to, um, to push my advantage that way. Um, and it's also it ended up being kind of like an archipelago map and my, my special unit's not a, a naval unit. That's where I think you and Zoe had a downfall is that like there were small islands. So he never had an opportunity for his like epicenter, his capital to like really take effect. He had to settle so far away. And so it was like unfortunate for both of you that you know, both of you couldn't shine. Like I, I definitely think that, uh, you know, Maya and Columbia needs to be played again. And I think it needs to be on a different map because like islands is cool. But when a civilization revolves around the map type so heavily, you know, it really sucks when you don't get that advantage. Like you don't have you need to build boats in order for your your horsemen to even get over across the, the, to the other side. Or for Zoe, he, his his capital city was on the coast. So like you have to go to the other side of the sea 
to even settle another city. Like, what are you, like, what are you gonna do? Waste seven turns to move closer to the middle where he, where a desert was? Yeah, I, were, I felt worse for him because like settling your cities farther away actively hurt him too, right? Like, it wasn't like you don't get a bonus. It's like, no, actually, you, if you don't do this, we're gonna hurt you if you don't do this. Um, and so it's still better than zero percent production. You know, like seventy five percent or eighty five percent production is still better than zero percent production. So, you know, you, you got to do it. You got to do it. Yeah. So I think that's where like the wheels fell off for me was like early on, I felt like I've dug myself into a hole. And if I was like on the same like tier as you guys, I probably may have been able to dig myself out, but I'm still not like, I know you guys say I'm improving, but I'm still not as good as you guys are at this game. So, um, you're improving, you're improving very quickly though. And so you'll, I think you'll start to learn like the, the cards that match together really well and what scenario uh that that's kind of like the important thing of getting from the beginning of the game to the like mid game as quick as you can it's just matching those correct cards to get you there fast anyway uh let's take a little bit of a break we're gonna go into the civilization tier list right after the break so stay tuned and you'll know which civilizations are the best and which are the worst on the civ show we'll see you in a bit Welcome back to the Civ Show podcast. Remember, we suck, so you don't have to. I'm Moisos. This is Nystagmus. And we're still without raising Zozo, but we're hoping he will join us in the middle of this segment, which is the Civilization Tier List. (sighs) (laughs) What we're going to be doing in this section of the show is we're going to be ranking all of the Civilization leaders in order of greatness, we have S tier as the best, the very top, the top, the cream of the crop. And then we have all the way down to F tier. So S, A, B, C, D, F. F tier being you shouldn't play this even if your mama paid you $500. So that's the rank of cream of the crop. Can't pay me $500. Uh, we're going to be starting with the civilizations that we just played in the last version of the Civ show. And that is going to be, I want to single them out here. It is going to be Maya. I'm going to put her down here. Uh, Lady Six Sky uh, is going to be Grand Colombia or Simon Boulevard. I'm going to put him down here as well. And the Brazilian Empire, which is Pedro II. Why don't you start with Simon Boulevard? Uh, where do you think they go first? It's the easiest one, right? Yeah, so... At the moment, all evidence suggests that Boulevard has an S-tier capability. Right. So I'd easily put him up here, um, mainly just because uh, of all the the extra plus one movement is the big thing. Like that's that's I in of itself very very agree good. That, that is probably one of their most desirable traits. And then really, like I know we didn't get to see uh, again. Don't use my performance in the last game as any indication. Um, he. The Lineros, when I played single player with him, are extremely powerful, along with those free generals that you get um, militarily wise. Like I had Lineros killing tanks, right? Like that that's just what was going on. I think on. cavalry is the, the I think the next unit is the tank, right? And so with the right upgrades, yeah. They were still killing like something above it. And that was but granted. But because you get so many of those free generals, you can stack them so easily. So you move your army with the generals behind the army. And basically, 
It allows you to have and those and that and the adjacency bonus for the Lanero stacks as well. Man, you can get some crazy bonus combat strength with those things. Yeah, it was it was bad. Like I was like up against the computer and I, I basically killed an entire army and I didn't lose a single Lanero. <laughs> Mainly also because I retired one of the generals and we healed them all. Um, and so just all of that together plus one movement and then the tile space. I know we didn't, again, we didn't get a good uh, view of it when we played on Sunday, but on the, when I was playing the computer, like it's, it's a Swiss army knife. It gives you production, gives you food and it's under the right conditions. Oh, the, it gives the you Hacienda? Gold. Yeah, the Hacienda. Um, and so every aspect of what uh, Simon Bolivar can bring to the table is useful. Um, and it's useful in multiple scenarios. So it's not like you get one thing, it's only good for culture or only good for science or something like that it's it's good militarily and then his his uh, hacienda is good for building up a good economy in almost any s- situation so i think at the moment all of this points to simon Bolivar being s tier so where does his weakness lie where do you think he's the weakest where, where how do you beat, how game. do you beat yeah. yeah early game right i would agree with you welcome zo raising zozo how you doing buddy i am here i made it you did you made it congratulations bud you did it. So we just ranked uh, Simon Bolivar in the, our, our tier list. We, we, I think we both agree that he belongs in the S tier. If you were to go into Discord, you'll see the link. I, I, I don't see you looking at this page uh, when you have a chance. Um, but uh, while you're doing that, I guess I will take, I will take uh, the next one into ranking uh, Pedro II, Brazil. So Brazil's... They're very strong uh, economy-wise, growth-wise. You know, they their adjacency bonuses for all of the rainforest is insane, like absolutely insane. Um, their battleships are also insane. They have this weakness early game as well. And I don't know, it's tough to kind of rank them because I want to put them like up there, you know? But then I also find it hard because they're so dependent on being near a rainforest so i i imagine like their first few cities might be good and but the rest of them might not be okay so i think because of the the dependency on the map i can't put them as s tier because there's an there's an odds that you either one don't spawn near a lot of rainforest or two there's just not a lot of rainforest on your map and so i, I because of the dependency on the map i need to put them at at a i'm gonna put them at a they're, so they're good they're a very good civilization However, they have their flaws and their flaws is that they're just so dependent on where they spawn. Is that agree or disagree with you guys? Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Like I find I find that um, rainforest is common enough. It is. But it's just like, is it is your spot good enough? Like I, I happen to have a really good spot during our last session. The, the thing is that the adjacency bonus applies to multiple forms. So if the say the adjacency bonus was only to science, I would probably put them more in like a B tier. But because the adjacency bonus can apply to many different aspects, I, th- I agree that A tier would be more appropriate. Um, just because you don't have to hyper focus the game, right? But they can get slaughtered early on. They, they like if you just like uh, Simon Boulevard, um, but at least Simon has like that plus one movement to kind of like give them a little bit of, a, of inv- advantage throughout the entire game. Uh, Brazil has nothing. They have, I guess, the, like the plus whatever science to try to get ahead in science really fast or the plus whatever in culture or gold. Um, but they're very, very vulnerable early game, 100%. Let's move on to Maya. So what do you think? This is going to be an interesting one because I feel like there might be a lot of argument here. 
Um, I know that you didn't spawn in the most ideal spot in the last game, but where would you rank Maya in this leader tier list? I I still think they're an A tier. I, I wouldn't say that they're 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 the top, but I um I think they're gonna end up unanimously being A tier. While the plantation bonus is big, um I think the farming like I was able to pull off pretty well and I felt that last game, like even without the plantations, I was still holding strong. If I'd had them, it would have been much better. The, their cities just get really big though. And I an aqueduct and like six farms is like 12 right there, 12 uh, population, 12 housing. Their overall use, like I look forward to using them again when I actually do get more of their bonuses, like especially their their towns getting adjacency. Like if you start beside a luxury resource, you get an extra amenity. Um, so, you know, amenities and big cities go hand in hand. So they have all the opportunities they need to to uh, to make big cities and then also keep them happy. The um, the low cost of the science district, the observatory, pretty much every city easily can have them. I I think that initial, you're pretty much guaranteed guaranteed a golden age um, in the classical era. Uh, if you play that right between the various options that a golden age would get you, um, because it's just so easy to do. Like because you're 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 gonna build your your observatory right away. That's four. You're going to build an archer right away. That's four. And so far, every time I've been them, I found that like I get a golden age right off the bat. I don't know. I think that they 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 just offer this consistency. You know, you know, the type of game you're going to play with them isn't one of conquest. You're going to play more of a defensive game with uh, large cities. Why? Why would they? Why are they a versus like a B tier? So like they sound like they're also very dependent on map, but I think like more so than Brazil. I. I I just felt that there's they they're still really good in late game, um. So like yeah, the, that it, that initial bonus is all most of their bonuses start early, um. But sometimes you know an early bonus can make a big difference over the course of the, the you know the stack of turns. I don't know. I just um the, the games I've I've played with them because uh, you know you end up with this tight empire and all your cities are like really big. Uh, and if you get plantations, which are very common, that was a freak thing that I didn't get any plantations. They're very common. A uh, way that we can also approach this is when we look at a civilization, put them into a tier, right? Um, how many victory paths do they have, right? So, like for example, for the Maya, because of your your, they, you know, it doesn't. It's not like you don't get a bonus if you expand past that that kind of circle you have. You actively get hurt for doing so. Um, now that may mean that, you know, domination victory is not exactly in the cards for the main and that means you can't do it, but it's not how the civilization is geared. Right. And so we know that they're geared more for a sit and stay. And that means usually a religious, cultural or scientific victory. More cultural religious. You need to, you need to have a military because you need to have your religion spread to other cities. And in order to do that, no one's going to let you do that for free. You need to move them in with military, but you don't need to take over cities to do that. No, you're right. So nothing nothing precludes them from building a strong military. It precludes them from expanding and taking cities. And so, in fact, you don't want to do that all the time with a religious victory. You just want to be able to move them in with military to protect the religious units until they can convert the cities. Right? You don't need to take the city to convert it. I feel like their only path to religious victory, or not their only, I guess, but like one of the 
it's got to be early game. It has to be early enough where their special units still still effective. Like Zoe said, though, they can build these massive cities, and the bigger the city is, the more religious pressure it can exert in it, on its surroundings. Yeah, true. Okay. Yeah, I found I found that 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 while their bonuses don't necessarily necessitate a good religion civilization, uh, exactly that you end up having these big cities with big pressure. You kind of do have to force religion in, but when you are, when you do it, like. I found that my faith was rather high. I ended up taking the route that I could use my faith to build units. Like I was drawn to to having a religion because I wanted to the building bonus. I wanted to have the extra housing and the extra amenities in my larger cities. You know, uh, that's like plus two housing and amenities and what have you. Um, so the religion really adds to it. And because you end up having large cities, you can build like I had like three cities where I had like pretty much every district. So I don't know. I think because of that population, it gives them versatility um, and it makes it so that they're going into the later game. They're still really, really good. Um, I got to play them a bit more. But Bully for you from the chat says Maya is so consistent that it makes it hard not to snowball even with hilly spawns. Yeah. Yeah. Like I so far, every game I've had with them, I've. I would agree that they're consistent. And it's just it's icing on the cake if you get the plantation uh, bonus, but I don't think it's it's necessary. Cool. Okay, so I, I guess we can leave them at eight here. Um, I I yeah I, I don't disagree, but um, I, this this list will ever will be changing forever. You know what I mean? We're always going to be adjusting as we keep playing these civilizations and we keep playing uh, throughout the Civ show. Uh, definitely, this this tier list will change. Um, this is just our first impressions on these civilizations. So let's move on to one that I think we're all familiar with. I'm going to put it at the bottom so we can all see it. And that is Germany. So we're all familiar with what Germany does. If you're not familiar with them, they get a plus, they get plus one district, uh, no matter what their population is. They can always build one district more than their population. They also have plus five combat strength to city states. And their special unit is the U-boat, which is a very powerful naval boat. They get in the industrial era, question mark? Sure, we'll say the industrial era. So uh, all that considered, where would you rank Germany, Frederick Barbosa? Uh, I think they're a solid, like when it that production, that, that extra district is great and that, that unit gives you great production, which puts you towards being able to build a strong military if you need to, being able to build, um, you know, helps you definitely with the science victory because it takes a lot of production to build the um, the spaceports and all that stuff, right? And so it does gear you up to that. I think they're a solid A tier. Um, I'm, I don't know if they have enough of an advantage. I don't think their special unit is all that it's a powerful sub, but like it, it's only useful in specific situations. Um, whereas, you know, you have other civilizations that have units that are, uh, they have utility in almost every game. Whereas I, you can play a game with Germany where you don't build a single U-boat, right? Like you don't need to do it. There's a lot of games where I don't build boats. Right. And so I think that, that that's the knock I would give against them, which is their special unit, you know, isn't really all that uh, utilitous all, all the time. And so... Um, I give them a solid A tier, mainly because of their extra district. Their special district gives them a lot of production. You need a lot of production to do almost everything. So, you know, big military, you can do a domination victory, science victory for the production for the spaceports, or you can even do the, um, the, uh, 
culture victory because you can use all that extra production to build all the uh, uh, cultural artifacts wonders. and wonders and stuff that you need for tourism. Yeah. And so that's where I put them in there. So they have many avenues for victory, not just one. Um, and they can do them all fa fairly well. Hmm. That's weird because every list that I look at puts them at S tier. Every list. I think they're S tier too. I think they're S tier too. Like it's kind of like, I guess it's always like what qualifies as S tier. Well, what I would counter for Nystagnus's um, position with a U-boat is it is kind of a garbage unit. And I think that civilizations that have very powerful buildings or other power, like the, the other stuff that they do is really powerful. They end up getting a garbage unit um which is the, you know the unit itself is not as important maybe the way that we can like hammer this out is what do we expect each of the t like for me this way this is how i organize it in my head a and s tier the only difference between those two for me is i like to put civilizations in the s tier that literally every single thing they're given has utility every single game right like Almost always. Yeah. Like if it meshes well, like they, their, their, their kit kind of like flows well together and it's consistent. Every game is good. So like, kind of thing. I think Germany's right at that borderline to be an S tier. If, if they instead had, instead of the U-boat as their special unit and it was instead like the tiger tank that is a really powerful tank and, and replaces like the, the mod, uh, the, um, the armor. Um, I, I would put them clearly in S tier in that case because that would have huge utility for a domination victory. Yeah, I, I actually agree with you there. I think that they're S tier because getting an extra district for all your cities is huge. I think they're S tier because their building is a production in crazy heart, like crazy, like their 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 special building uh, is a workshop, which a workshop is like. You know, that's one of the biggest buildings in the game. Like your your production is is very important for everything. Um, and their ability with city states. Plus five combat strength. Basically can annihilate city states. So you're starting off where you're actively gaining a bunch of extra cities. You're shutting your rivals off from potential resources because you're just going to cut them off you're not playing a game where you're 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 caring about cesareans or anything like that um i think the u-boat thing is just they had to do that because otherwise then it would just be unbalanced if they if they had all it's amazing how they forgot that for simon boulevard then huh <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll see with boulevard because still even with boulevard it's based you know that plus one movement yeah it's useful the whole way through but it's based on military units city construction's a different story um so you know the german player is going to find that their cities are just very very prosperous and um pumping out whatever they need to do and i think that's what's their their versatility where simon or um you know grand colombia um kind of gets pigeonholed a bit you're gonna be, oh you gotta you gotta go military you know you're gonna go military or you know maybe you go religion because of that plus one movement your, your guys are moving a bit faster germany doesn't get pigeonholed they can do anything they can do culture they could do they can do domination they could do religion they can do any of them they're they're not disadvantaged in any in any given one and i think that's what you need to look at for s tier is like well you know, is there a win condition that they're not good at? And there's not. They it it just it's up to the German what they want to focus on. Well, to be fair, I would argue that that Simon Boulevard doesn't have a win condition that they're bad at particularly either, though. I think their their abilities are 
aligned to military and maybe religion. Um, I don't think their abilities are aligned to, uh, they're not for production and production's critical for things like science and culture victory. Um, I think that they're like, they're very good at what they do. I don't know their, their tile, their tile bonus, uh, gives them production. Their tile bonus is production and gold and it's not bad, but you're getting it mid game. Uh, Germany is turn one. They got this. They have these abilities. I don't, I don't disagree do. with it. I put them right at that border. Um, I just, and again, I, maybe we're, we are jumping the gun with Simon Bolivar a little bit because he's a new one and we don't have as much experience with, with that new civilization. Um, uh, I, uh, I don't know. S tier for me is like God tier, right? Like where, <laughs> um, that, that's why, and, um, and uh, every, and that's the thing, right? Everyone has different measurements of what they would consider each tier, right? I, I, my, part of my, my math is, is everything that's given to me for the civilization useful? Cause if it's not, then what, then it's another avenue that we're missing. Meaning, you know, why do I get a useless unit and the Romans get the legions, right? Um, kind of thing. And, um, and so, you know, that, that's the way, I, and I don't disagree with the S tier thing at all. I think that that's, that's justifiable 100%. You, you, you got to look at the timing sometimes with, um, with when, when, when you get your, your special unit. Okay. So sometimes with a special unit, it's not just about how useful it is. It could be that this is a time when you have a better chance of having a golden era. Right. Uh, and I look at that. When am I building? Because when you build your special unit, you're getting plus four era points, right? Right off the bat. So for the Germans, I think their special building as well is a factory. It, it's replaces, the industrial right? zone. It replaces the industrial zone. Yeah. The Hansa. The industrial, the Hansa. So I think that suggests that uh, on top of all of Germany's advantages, when you get to the industrial era, they have a higher chance of having a golden age. Um, so I think timing is important um for for things like but why, that why does that what, if if i'm timed for the industrial age for a golden age right versus like the classical era why would that separate me into s tier versus a tier um i i just think it's something you have to look at is the timing of when when does an when when are they likely so the, the germans i think are in a position where um very likely they're probably hitting their ages they're probably going to be able to do it. their cities their cities are going to be good at, at building wonders. Their cities are going to be the good counter at- argument I would make is the farther along the game you go, the harder it is to hit that golden age because there's more error points you need. Sure. And the amount of error points you get per the special unit is stagnant. You get four no matter what era it's in. And so having a special unit like in the classical era almost simply guarantees that that era becomes your golden age. It just it, it increases the likelihood that that's going to be a a, a a golden age. And, you know, a golden age in the classical era versus medieval era versus industrial era. Those are all very, very different. Right. For the because by the by the industrial era, you've got an established civilization. So if you're um, if your golden age does ha- if you do get a golden age there, it's going to be really important. Um so I don't know. I just think sometimes the timing of it is, you know, that when you do have these civs that get the later one. I know. And and that's why the game, the game is super complicated because on the other side too, the, you may have an established civilization when you have a golden age, but like you said, things snowball, 
right? The farther I get out in the early game, the farther ahead I get out, the more I can, um, the more I can press that advantage for the rest of the game. Sure. But the, the, the Germans capacity to build that extra district, I just think it's a consistent, all of their cities are going to be very prosperous. They're going to have extra great people. Um, like it just, and like I said, I think this is an argument without a, without a point anyway, because I, I think that your designation is justifiable, right? I'm just, I'm, I wasn't really there yet to say S tier. And so I don't think there's any disagreement on that. I think they can be S tier. Um, I just can't get over the fact that I don't, maybe I'm just upset because I don't get to build tiger tanks. I don't know. I don't know if any civilizations special unit is a tank. Uh, no, no, I don't think so either. So I will be the deciding vote here. Uh, since you guys are kind of split, you guys have both really good arguments and chat agrees with you that you both have really good arguments. Um, but I do think that the plus one district and the Hansa are super strong. Uh, because of that, I, I will have to put them at S tier, but I do agree that they're borderline like AS and like they can also like they can also change. Like like Germany, I'm not sure on and like Maya, I'm not sure on. But for now, I'm going to put them at S tier. But that's all the time we have for the Civ show. Uh, not the podcast, but the tier list, the Civ show tier list. Uh, we're going to continue this on the next podcast as well we're going to take a little bit of a break and we're going to get into what to expect on the next civ show on sunday we're going to reveal who we're playing and the theme that we will be playing as well stay tuned don't go anywhere we'll be right back Welcome back to the Civ Show podcast. Remember, we suck, so you don't have to. I'm Moisas, and I have Raising Zozo and Nystagmus here with me. We're and we're proud to announce what our next Civ Show theme and leaders are going to be. And I have a little bit of a scene to give you guys. Uh, a little bit of a tease of what it's going to be. It's been the exact same as the title screen here, and we're going to start from the very left. And it is going to be who Moisas plays. And who do we got for Moisas? It's Macedonia. Ah, That's right. I will be playing Alexander the Great of Macedonia. If I quickly, quickly go and Google what they are so that I can announce to my fellow showmates that they should probably Google who they're playing right now so they can explain what they do. I uh, already got it loaded. Got great on, right on you, buddy. I'm just the one that's slacking right now. So if I look at Alexander the Great, they are the leader of Macedonia. Macedonian cities never incur, incur war weariness and all military units heal completely when a city with a wonder is captured. That is... I played one practice game is insane. It's absolutely insane. I was on one side of the territory that was killing uh, barbarians. And then I had to come back to um, kill another city. I was killing a city. And since I knew that he was coming, I didn't even have to bother to heal the, the units that were killing the barbarians. I sent them straight to another city. I captured the, I captured the city. They all healed and they were fully ready to go for the next one. It is an incredible uh, ability and something that I'm very excited to use. I don't know if you're going to be building any wonders this game, but if you do, beware that you may have uh, a target on your back. So can you take over who you are going to play on 
uh, the next civilization. Yes, I know last week at the end of this, the game, uh, we said we announced like all women or something like that, but we'd actually already done that. So um, we, we, we traded it up a bit and uh, there is a theme between these three guys. Um, but my sieve is the mighty Ottoman Empire with his lordship Suleiman leading us, not to be confused with Sauron. Uh, but equally <laughs> as impressive. Um, now, uh, and actually, uh, Suleiman and Solomon do have a lot in common. And I think the main thing they have in common is their love of the black powder. So the Ottoman Empire has an ability called the Great Turkish Bombard. Uh, as as many of you may know, the Ottoman Empire is uh, responsible for the sacking of Constantinople, which was once Istanbul, but now it's Constantinople. Uh, that's nobody's business but the Turks, to quote a famous song. Um, and uh, they love their cannons. So they receive their siege units 50% faster. Okay, so they train them 50% faster, big deal. Um, and it gives them a plus five combat strength against district defenses. So those catapults right off the bat. Um, you get them at are, catapults? They replace the catapults? It's, well, it's siege units. Catapults a siege unit, is it no, not? Yeah, but it, what's their special unit? Oh, I haven't gotten to their special unit, have I? I'm still describing the great Turkish bombard as it's beyond that. I'm not done. Oh I'm my gosh. Done. There's more. <laughs> uh, so first of all, plus 50% production towards all their siege units, plus five strength against districts. Big deal. Good for sieging cities. In addition, cities, the Ottomans conquer. We have another conquer bonus. Uh, do not lose population and Ooh. receive a plus one amenity and plus four loyalty per turn. Whoa. So they they not only do conquering cities not get weakened, they grow happier and they welcome their Ottoman liberators uh, as they march forward. Yes. So plus four loyalty for conquering cities. Uh, so they are a sieve that wants to build an empire through you. Uh, so I do look forward to meeting the Macedonians and the secret other Civ that we haven't introduced yet. Um, so that's the Ottomans' main, the Great Turkish Bombard. So they're actually, I think, one of the only Civs that like has like focuses like big time on siege. Like there are Civs that get some siege, uh, but like that's a big deal, and that's throughout the game. That fifty percent bonus uh, to to uh, their siege units. Their special unit, their special unit is the great Barbary Corsair. Okay, this is a, a boat that uh, replaces the privateer. Okay, so you're getting it and you get it with medieval fares. So I think the privateer is mercenalism, mercenialism. Yep. So medieval fares a bit different, I think a little bit earlier. Um, it's in the medieval so it, era. It's, it's in it the medieval is really, era. Yeah. yeah, it is a it is a medieval boat, but it is a good boat. 
Uh, it is a visible, invisible except to city centers, encampments, destroyers, and other naval raider units and units that are adjacent to it. So it's, you got your same privateer. It ignores zone of control from units and cities. I believe that's a privateer ability as well. And, and it can, and it can, uh, perform the coaster raid. Now it has for its special abilities that uses no movement for performing coastal raids. Uh, normally when you, you know, get beside a coast, it's, it takes to do a raid or whatever. It's two movement or I think it's three, three movement or whatever. They don't have that at all. Um, and then they also have a lower production. Uh, so they are 240 instead of the 280 uh, to produce. And they also are cheaper. Uh, they only cost three instead of four. Um, it's not it's not like a super um, amazing um, thing. But anytime you get a boat is interesting. Um, the medieval fairs um, is not too far along um, and it and it's on your way to exploration. So that's uh, interesting. I don't do a lot of coastal raiding. I'm going to do it more this game. It's good. I played Norway. It's it's really good. I will tell you that right now. I look I look forward to it. Uh, and I, I think the attack of fifty is probably the same as the privateer. Yes. Uh, same attack. Yeah, it has the same attack, same range. Uh, it's just about it's I think about twenty five percent cheap. So uh, it's a decent unit. Um, I whenever I see a unit that's not like amazing for a civilization, it makes me actually a little excited because I I usually find their other abilities. Um, like Germany, they, they overweight, uh, away. Um, so that is the Barbary Corsair. Um, I know Moy, what you really wanted to know about is the Grand Bazaar and the Stagnus especially wants to know about the Grand Bazaar. Am I, am I right? Yeah, I'm right. Um, so this is a, this is a unique unit, uh, new, unique New York um that replaces the bank i love i love the money um so it replaces the bank and um it it has some pretty neat effects so your base bank uh gives you five gold a citizen and a merchant point this bank still gives you five gold still gives you the citizen slot and still gives you the merchant point. However, it is significantly cheaper. It only costs um, 220 to build um, versus 290. So that's a, you know that's a decent 70 production uh, difference. Um, it accumulate you accumulate one extra strategic resource for every different type of strategic resource this city has improved. So in that city, all of them, you're making an extra one per turn, uh, which is, I think, very useful. And you receive one amenity for every luxury resource this city has improved. So you get your regular amenity bonus, okay? And then this one, so if you have three it gets plus three so this is a bank that makes people super happy uh which means that i'm getting uh 
sustaining a higher population. Um, I, I'm looking forward to this and the strategic resource thing, uh, I think, uh, will actually be really important too. So yeah, Grand Bazaar, very good. And finally, the Grand Wizard himself, the great white wizard, Suleiman, you know, um, Suleiman, um, behold, this is my banner. Anyone who loves me will follow me. I think this is very, very true of Suleiman, uh, of the Ottomans in general. And this is where the Ottomans are an anomaly. And I love civs like this that have just a really weird ability that's not like anything that anyone else has. It's not like a glorified bank. No, no, no. Uh, his ability, Suleiman, the magnificent Sultan of the Empire, Sultan of the Ottoman Empire, has a Grand Vizier. And a Grand Vizier is a governor. So normally there are eight governors in the game. Well, the Ottomans get a ninth governor. Okay, so that's crazy. Uh, so this is Abraham, the uh, Grand Vizier. So he's his own category of governor uh, who is only available for the Ottoman Empire, which means as a governor, that's a list of like, what governors have like six abilities, right? Uh, one, so, two, three, four, five, six. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So his base one. So he is kind of a, I guess a, he's a diplomat military guy. Um, so his default base one is the Pasha plus 20% production to all military units in the city. So his base unit base thing is that he's building those units faster. Uh, then his tier one, so you get, you get to choose between one of his tier one. He has two. One is the head falconer. Okay, obviously Ottomans got falcons, right? Obviously. Uh, so the head falconer is all friendly units fighting within the city's territory gain plus five strength. Okay, nice, nice uh, defensive ability. Um, and then he has the uh, Sarasker, Sarasker. Uh, grants all units within 10 tiles of the city center plus 10 strength when attacking defensive districts. So this governor is great to set up during a siege of an enemy of, a, of a, an enemy empire. You're right. I would take over a building or be on one on the fringes. And then within 10 tiles, I'm getting plus 10 to attack city districts. So when you add the siege bonus, that is a plus 15 to oppose your districts, uh, which I believe city walls are considered a district. Um, so because of the town. So yeah, that's pretty awesome if you're on the offensive. Um, continuing down tier two, we get to the Kos Odabashi. So the Kos Odabashi, when established, so you need head falconer for this one, when established in an allied foreign capital, Alliance leveling rate is increased Wait, with so the he, owner. So you can put him in a so you can send enemy city. Yep. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, didn't I? Didn't as I read, I said all friendly units within the city's territory get these bonuses. Okay. Uh, so you can send him ahead to an ally. So you can send oh. him to support an oh. ally, um, and that is going to increase your alliance level by one. This is the diplomatic side of him um which is pretty cool um his other uh tier two is the kapu 
aga, and when established in a foreign capital, grievances from the city's owner against you are reduced by one per turn. So you can put them into an enemy city that maybe this is probably more useful against a computer than against a human. I admit that, but you can put them into an enemy city and they, he will slowly plead your case. Oh, we Ottomans are not so bad, are we? And over time uh, they agree. Uh, and then finally his last level best promotion name, the grand vizier. So this is when he truly becomes the grand vizier. When established in a foreign capital, none of the owner's cities exert loyalty pressure on your cities. So you throw them in there and now I don't need to worry. So I'm conquering your cities. Okay, we've declared peace. I'm keeping these cities and I'm going to send him to your capital to make sure that we all get along. So... The Grand Vizier gives the Ottomans just like it brings it full circle. They are this amazing military diplomatic sieve. And you don't usually see that like you're either one or the other, right? You're either a Canada or a Macedonia. Um, they are both. They are war and peace. Uh, they're able to go and conquer. Then they're able to keep uh, their siege weapon bonus is their great bombard means I'm getting through your defenses. Um, and if I use the Grand Vizier well, which means I'm probably going to have high culture when I play them. Um, because I want to have as many, um, as many, uh, governor points as I can. So I'll probably make sure I have a decent, um, I might even care a little bit more about culture than science. Um, you know, once I get my catapults, like, uh, I'll be good with, this, uh, you know, swordsman or whatever. Um, so this should be really, really interesting. It's a very well-rounded, uh, civilization um that uh that is obviously yeah, much more on the on the war side than anything but because they're able to manipulate during peace uh not to mention they're great to have as an ally i, I could be wrong but when i read all friendly units i think that means if an ally counts as friendly right possibly i think maybe we'll have we'll have to look that up it might also mean more like like if you're a cesarean of a city state maybe both maybe maybe either way they push the front they're able to push the to the to, to the front line, and and then that they have the um their boat is interesting too. It adds an interesting level. Uh, I I I'll be stealing gold from people. So yeah, I think good money, good military, good diplomacy. This is going to be a very interesting uh, civilization. All right, and lastly, we have one of the best civilizations. All three of these are really great civilizations, by the way. But one of the best civilizations in the game subjectively and that is the persians the stagmas take away yes, so i will be taking a realm of cyrus the great under the persian empire being leading his uh legions of immortals uh to victory so uh the this is one civilization that I don't really play the two different main ways that you win with them, which is, and first of all, we're all warmongers here, apparently, with all these civilizations we chose um, uh, with that or culture. So civilization ability is the centerpiece. Um, so basically, the Persians gain one extra trade route capacity when they get 
political philosophy. Um, domestic trade routes all provide plus two gold and plus one culture. What? And roads, oh. yeah, and all roads built inside Persian territory are one level more advanced than usual. Um, so really kind of like uh, along lines of also like the Roman Empire, Persian Empire is actually also known for building tons of roads across its vast territory. Oh, I can't wait to hear all about that when we play. <laughs> <laughs> the special unit that they have is the famed immortals. Um, they replace the swordsmen, uh, uh, but they are also not really truly melee units. They are melee units and they are ranged units because the immortals were an elite group of soldiers that also were trained with the short bow. So they can actually fire with the short bow so they can use their ranged attack or they can use their melee attack. Yeah, they can what? do either or, right? Yeah. Oh my uh, god. Now granted that comes with a cost. So their melee attack isn't as strong as the standard swordsman, 30 strength versus 36, but they have the extra flexibility. It means I don't have to build archers. I can just build my special immortals and they can be the ranged unit that defends my city um, as opposed to having to build archers and swordsmen. Um, and so they have that ability um, uh, with that. Now they are a little bit more expensive production wise um, and they do have that minus 17 range strength versus districts and naval units, but that's like most that's of archers. Every, every all range, archers. Every range. Right? And so yeah. not, not as uh, concerned about that. Um, and so that's their the special unit for, for them. And then their special uh, unit tile. Can I hold on? Can I can I comment just briefly there, Nystagnus? Uh, this is a like a fantastic unit, probably one of the best units in the game, the Immortal. Um, just because the time you get it, you get it relatively early. It's very very versatile. Um, I've always found in the past when people have them, like they're Immortals, like they they will end up having very high levels. The one thing that's kind of crappy about them is the requirement of iron. If they had all of this stuff and didn't specifically need iron, so that's the one crappy thing with Persia is if you don't get that um, iron, and that happens, right, where you you won't get the iron that you need, especially if you're playing on a tiny map, um, that could be a really big setback because that is like one of their biggest abilities. Same weakness that the Romans get with the legions, right? You need, yeah, you need same, iron same for that sort of thing. Too. Yeah. They're also really good at getting Drekken to quit the game. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> special ability. There. Um, so their their special tile ability is called the Paradisia. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but um, it's a, a tile improvement that you can build almost anywhere except for tundra and snow tiles, and you can't just build them next to each other. So you can't build two paradises next to each other. Um, now it provides plus one culture, plus two gold, uh, and plus two appeal. Um, to where it's built. Now you get a plus one culture for every adjacent holy site and theater square. You also get plus one gold for every adjacent commercial hub or city center. And then you get plus one culture if once you uh, get uh, research diplomatic service. Um, and so it can potentially provide two plus two culture just by itself. If you plan this out. Yeah, right, these sorts could, of buildings are very really... interesting for late game. I was just saying, like, sorry, you're probably going to say that more the, the, for neighborhoods. Um, like that's a Not big deal. Well, it, it's a plus two appeal. No, no, no that's a, was, that wasn't that wasn't what I was gonna oh, say. Okay. I was gonna say something else. Now the last thing, which is the leader bonus, so that's Cyrus the Great. So the fall of Babylon um, is his leader bonus. So plus two movement is awarded to all units for ten turns after declaring a surprise war. Surprise wars count as formal wars for warmongering penalties and war weariness. And occupied cities do not suffer any yield penalties. So 
all civilizations that we're playing next week appear to give, hey, don't worry, man. There's no consequence to going to war for anybody, right? You don't have to worry about loyalty in cities or yields or movement or war weariness or warmongering. Just, just do it, man. Everyone, just have a good old time. Basically, we're, uh, and historically, there are two empires here that fought each other in real life, which is the Macedonians and the Persian Empire. Now, granted, Alexander the Great did not take on the Persian Empire at its height under the Cyrus the Great, but did fight the Persian Empire that is that it's the same empire that, that he fought and he defeated that. This to save some save some of it for Sunday, man. So I w I wanna I wanna go back to the unique tile. Um the Paradisia. So if you plan your city really correctly and then you also take the um the Pantheon that gives you plus two faith for if if it's a breathtaking appeal, this tile could be crazy. Right? If you put it between a holy site and a theater square, it's plus three total culture so right the plus one and then plus two for being between them and then also if you put it between at the same time a commercial hub in your city centers which you can do this is not a hard thing to do you get plus four gold so you can get plus three culture plus four gold plus two faith if it's a if it's breathtaking which it gives you plus two appeal as well so it's very likely it gets this thing's crazy in my practice game i think i got up to um uh 400 and something gold per turn. Wow. Yeah, um, that's insane. This 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 thing's pretty good. Okay. Uh, anyway, um continue on if you if you weren't done. Oh no, that that was I was just kind of adding into the atmosphere of the the theme was, you know, ancient empires, right? And so we have the Persians, we have the Macedonians and we have Ottomans, although I, you know, Ottomans are a little bit later on, they didn't actually meet the other two empires, but they're still uh, um uh, a fantastic historical empire to, to learn about too. We have three fantastic civilizations that are going to clash on Sunday. It's going to be the rise and fall, get it, of the empires is what it's going to be. There's going to be only one. It can only be one great empire. And who is it going to be? Is it going to be Moisas with Alexander the Great and the Macedonians? Is it going to be raising Zozo with the Ottomans and Suleiman? Or is it going to be Nystagmus with Cyrus and the great Persian Empire. We'll find out on Sunday on the Civ Show at 7 p.m. Eastern wanna, Time. What? Did we want to mention the map we're going to play on as well? I don't think uh, we mentioned that. I guess we should also mention the map. Uh, Zoe, go ahead since you chose sure, the map. Sure, sure. Uh, so, um, you know, we had uh, Moy chose the format and Nystagnus uh, got to choose the first Civ. Uh, so I got to choose the map as sort of the way that we go about it. Uh, and I chose an inland sea. Uh, so the inland sea map is interesting because I don't believe it's circular. So I don't think you can go around it. I think it has an actual edge. Yeah, right? it does. Yep. Um, with a big ocean in the middle. Uh, so there, you know, we'll all have access to that ocean, I'm sure. But uh, it'll be like definitely I think we'll get the feel for empires uh, ha having our own regions. Uh, but there will there'll also be room for some fun naval battles. So um, we are going to be doing an inland sea, almost like fighting around the Mediterranean or the Balkans or, you know, something like that. 
All right, so uh, yeah, we're gonna play on the inland sea map. It's gonna be a super bloody, super exciting. This may be a long game because it's gonna be a lot of war. So it might take two, possibly three sessions for us to continue, uh, finish this game, but that's okay because it's gonna be a very entertaining one. There was abs there was no conflict in our last Civ show. There's gonna be a lot of conflict in this one for sure. We're also gonna be playing on a dual map. So we're gonna be playing on a map that is curated for two players, but we're gonna be playing three people on it to just kind of influence that conflict as well. There's gonna be territorial clash and it's gonna be expansion uh, just due to war. So we're very, very excited for that to happen. And it's gonna all happen on Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Give us a follow on Twitch at The Civ Show, twitch.tv uh, slash The Civ Show. You can also follow us on Twitter at The Civ Show and you can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram again at The Civ Show. Gentlemen, do you have any final words before we leave tonight? Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. If you're not there, you'd better be dead. No, I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> uh, I'm done. <laughs> no, you're done. I just want to say that my leader is called Alexander the Great. All right, we're going to sign off. I'll see you, see my, you guys. My name is Cyrus the Great, so whatever, man. It's is cool. he? I just know him as Cyrus. That's the shame. I'll see you guys on Sunday. All right, see you later, guys. Thanks for stopping by. Solomon the Magnificent. Magnificent.